Pastor Ed Taylor speaks of the complete access we have with our Heavenly Father. You have access to God. You can come to God right now with your needs and your concerns. You can come to God looking for help. You can come to God with your sins to be forgiven. You can come by faith through Jesus Christ. It's not a pastor. It's not a priest. The Bible says that there is only one advocate between man and God, and that is the man Christ Jesus. We come to the Father through Christ. This is amazing grace. Welcome once again to Abounding Grace. Ed Taylor will be in John chapter 16 today. But before we go there, Pastor Ed is with me in studio. And Pastor Ed, in a moment, you'll explain to our listeners that we have complete access to God through Christ. Now, as you know, some are misguided today, thinking they need to go through another person, like a priest. Would you speak to that as we begin? Yeah, Larry, you know, one of the greatest freedoms that we enjoy is the freedom to go right into the throne room of grace where we can find help in time of need, that we have our own high priest. It's not a pastor. It's not a priest within a religious organization, but you have direct access. As you said, we have direct access to the Father through his Son, Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit. You can come to him right now. In prayer, you can open the Word and dialogue with Him and learn from Him. I mean, it is amazing. So I know it'll be a new, it'll be a new way of looking at things for some of you because you've just been raised that you have to go to a priest and this is how you confess and this is what you need to do and you need to do what you're told to do and on and on the list goes. But listen, there is freedom, Larry. This is an amazing freedom that I want more and more believers to enjoy. So buckle up your seatbelt and get ready for a good Bible study together. Thanks, Pastor Ed. And now let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 16 for our message, Overcoming the World. Now I do need to correct myself because I know in a previ- at least one previous study, I referred to this section 14, 15, and 16 as the Olivet Discourse. It's not. That was a mistake on my part. It is the upper room discourse as Jesus is taking his disciples after the the Last Supper and he's training and discipling them for what's up ahead. Their greatest pain and their greatest difficulty is just around the corner. And he's taking personal time, Jesus is, to prepare them for what's up ahead. Pick up with me now in verse 20. We'll overlap a little bit of our last study. In John 16, Jesus says in verse 20, Most assuredly I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. And you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, 
But I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. The disciples are confused. They're, they're concerned. They don't understand what's happening. They don't really fully understand what's up ahead. They are troubled in heart. They're sorrowful. I mean, they're, they're an emotional mess in many ways, emotionally and mentally in their thinking. And Jesus, I love, as he just enters into their situation to minister to them and serve them where they're at. That is such an important principle for us to understand about the character and nature of God, that he meets you where you are, and he receives you as you are. You you don't need to go through a whole series of of changes and getting your life right and fixing this. and Jesus calls you to himself as you are. And he loves you as you are in the mess that you might be in, the difficulty that you might be facing. He loves you and he cares for you. And as you come to him and lay your life down before him, he loves you enough to begin to work in you. And one of the things that he promises to every follower is that your pain has purpose. Your pain has purpose and your pain will be transformed. Your pain will be transformed. Jesus tells them, you're going to weep and you're going to lament. It's going to be very difficult times just up ahead. And what you're going to experience is going to even make you more sorrowful, he says. But your sorrow will be turned into joy. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit through our pain. Not only does our pain have purpose, a much broader purpose than maybe even what we can see right now, but that God will use it and bring transformation in your life. Now, I have to say, most of our prayers, as it relates to pain, are prayers of substitution. And it usually goes something like this. God, get me out of this. I don't like it. I don't want it. And substitute my pain with something else. Now, on occasion, God does just that. He'll deliver us from the trial, deliver us from the pain. And wow, man, we rejoice in times like that. However, most of the time, like Jesus is teaching us here, our pain will be transformed into joy. And not only will our pain be transformed into a form of joy, but our pain will transform us and change us in our relationship with God who loves us. And he uses the description of a woman giving birth and the intensity of that pain of childbirth. Now, of course, we as men, uh, we've never experienced childbirth. But for me personally, I was at the birth of each of my children and watched my wife's intense agony be transformed to great joy when the baby was born and laid on her breast. It changed everything. She was still in pain and her body was still doing whatever it was doing. But it was so different now to have that baby that was kicking and pushing in the womb, to be outside of the womb, to be enjoyed for who he was and who he is. And of course, we have a daughter for who she is. Transformation, not substitution. God is not substituting the pain in life by removing it and adding joy, but rather he's transforming the pain into joy. And I love that promise It's a promise to many of you at verse 20. Your sorrow will be turned into joy. 
sorrow be turned into joy. Notice in verse 23, And in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father, and I want you to mark this, note these things, in my name, that's the first use he will give you. Until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Jump down to verse 26. In that day you will ask in my name. And I do not say that to you that I shall pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you. One of the transforming works of pain and trials and tribulation in our lives is our prayer life. It increases. It's more than ever been before. You, you pray with more desperation. You pray with more faith. You pray with more expectation. You're asking and you're seeking and you're knocking as a result of your life in utter chaos and in deep sorrow. And he says, you know, there hasn't been a lot of prayer right now, but you're going to pray. And you're going to pray in my name. And and I'm not even going to stand in the gap for you. The Father loves you. He's going to hear your prayers. And there's going to be a whole new revelation of relationship through our prayer lives. And I've met so many of you that because of pain in your life, you become a prayer warrior. You pray like you've never prayed before. I mean, even as we watch this transformation happening in our own congregation, such a great emphasis upon prayer, our desire to press in. Some of you are just missing out because you've yet to have the conviction that your prayer life must increase. And it's not just from a Bible study or the passionate pleas of a pastor. See, if you don't respond to the things that aren't causing you pain, listen, there will come a pain in your life and a difficulty that will send you to your knees in prayer. And you will cry out to the God of heaven to intercede and intervene on your behalf. Because what do trials do? They really only have two things that that happen in our lives. They will either break our backs or they'll bend our knees. And I think many of us have experienced both of that in the reality of our lives. But he's saying that as a result of all this, you will pray more. You will ask. And then he uses that phrase, don't miss it, in my name. Three times in this section. In my name. Think about your own prayers for a moment. How you might even be discipling your children as you pray with them at the dinner table or you pray with them in the evening time. Our prayers usually start with something like, dear God, or Heavenly Father, as we take time to, to acknowledge of our own lips who we are addressing, who we're talking to. A simple definition of prayer is talking to God, talking to your Heavenly Father. And so how do your prayer start? You know, usually dear God or dear Heavenly Father where you're addressing Him, and then your time of prayer includes all sorts of things like adoration, You know, you just begin to thank God for who he is. You begin to thank God for sending his son into your life. You begin to thank God. And adoration is overlapped with thanksgiving as you begin to think of how God has done so much and how he's doing so much and how faithful he is and how much he loves us. And there may be in your prayer time a a, a time of confession. God, you know I blew it today. You know I said that and I shouldn't have. Please forgive me for sinning against you and sinning against my husband. Forgive me for this bad attitude, God, that nobody really knows about but you and me. But I know you know and I know I know and I don't want to live this way. And you begin to ask God to forgive you and to cover that part in your life and you come to him in humility. And your prayers may include praying for other people. 
where you have, you're praying for the salvation of your family members. You're praying for someone you know that's going through a trial and you're asking God, please act on their behalf. You might have a financial need and you say, God, meet this need in my life. And you're, you're talking to God with everything that's on your life. And that, there's no prayer that sounds the same. They're all very unique because they come at unique times and things on our minds. And sometimes we're praying out loud. Sometimes we're praying silently to ourselves. Sometimes we're praying with our eyes closed, with our hands folded. I mean, that's how we treat our kids, right? Okay, everybody, hold, fold your hands, bow your head, close your eyes. That's a pretty good way to teach kids so they're not pushing each other and throwing things at the dinner table. That kind of prayer doesn't really work while you're driving, so don't do that. Everybody, okay, I'm on I-25, I'm going to close my eyes. No, don't do that because it's really not the posture of the body that matters. It's the posture of the heart that matters in prayer. And then most likely, In all of the prayers that are encompassed by everyone that's tuned in to us right now, everyone in the room, everyone in the building, on the radio, on the internet, most likely, you can finish this with me, you will end your prayer in Amen. That's usually how we pray. Now understand that in Jesus' name is not a magical formula that you can say whatever you want to God and then just say in Jesus' name and he's going to give it to you. You know, God, I got a financial need right now. Would you, would dear Heavenly Father, would you just give me a million dollars? Let it be in my car when I after service in Jesus' name. Amen. And then you walk out to your car and you don't even have a penny in there. And you get mad. Wait a minute. I said it in Jesus' name. And Jesus just said, if I pray in his name, he's going to give it. You, you misunderstand. You either misunderstand because you've never been taught on prayer, which I'll help you in a moment. Or you misunderstand because there's a whole genre of false teaching in the church world today that says that you can just command God to do whatever you want him to do and just do it in Jesus' name because you're the king's kids. And you can just... It's nonsense. Because in the Hebrew culture, in the Jewish culture, especially from the perspective of Judaism in the time of Jesus' teaching here, the name of a person reflects the character of that person. It it reflects who that person is. For example, in the Old Testament, when Jacob was born with his twin Esau, he, he was holding the heel of his twin brother as they were coming out of the birth canal. And so when he when Jacob was born, he was named Jacob, because Jacob means heel catcher. And that reflects his name, kind of a a conniver and and someone that's always trying to work a deal. And and he was Jacob until he was wrestling with God, you recall. And he was wrestling all night with God. And finally God touches his hip and he's like, all right, I give up. And he prevailed with God, not in winning the fight, but he prevailed with God of being changed by God that evening. And his name was changed. Remember what his name was changed to? Israel. You know what that means? It means to be governed by God. He received a new character. Very similar to you and I when we were born again. The Bible says that we became new creations in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We don't really reflect the name aspect anymore. Like our names mean something. Some of you certainly do, but not all of us were named that way. So that when you pray in Jesus' name, when we use that phrase, this is what you're saying. 
You're saying, with that little phrase, you're saying, after everything that I've just said, God, and everything I've lifted up to you, all the good things, everything, everything that I've said, all this time that I pray, when I say in Jesus' name, I am saying, whatever you want that's consistent with the character of Jesus Christ, I accept that as the answer for my prayer. That's what that phrase means. I'm praying according to the character and the nature of Jesus Christ. That phrase could also be, for those of you that are familiar with the Lord's Prayer, what's known as the Lord's Prayer, in Jesus' name could also mean, God, of everything I just share with you, I bear my heart to you. I've I've shared with you all the things, not like you need to know God, but I needed to get it out. I'm upset here, and I need this here, and I'm over here, and I just feel hopeless, I feel lonely, and all of the things that come out in our prayer life. You're simply ending your prayer. When you say in Jesus' name, you're simply ending your prayer. God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what that phrase means. It's not a magical formula where you can get anything that you want from God. It's simply not what the Bible teaches. But rather we're aligned, we're, we are consciously, and I know sometimes it comes out repetitively and religiously, but now that you're being, your memory in, is being refreshed, it doesn't have to be so religious. You can really mean it. You can say with absolute emphasis, I'm praying this in your name, Lord. I trust you with my life. I want what's best for me, but what's best for you and your glory. And so you do what you will with my life because you purchased me with your own blood. That's all encompassed in Jesus' name. And you can remember that as you pray, as you consciously align your life with his desires and his will. The early church were prayer warriors, and they taught us how to depend upon prayer. Okay, verse 25. These things I've spoken to you in figurative language, but the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you'll ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you, and I love this. You've got to mark this in your Bible. Jesus says, for the Father himself loves you. Any of you doubting the love of God in your life, any of you questioning the love of God in your life, any of you wondering even if you're lovable enough for the love of God, the Bible says the Father himself loves you. You are loved. It's the love of God that breaks down our barriers. It's the love of God that leads. The Bible says, don't you know it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance that leads to wholeness and relationships. Yes, the Father loves you because you have loved me, verse 27, and have believed that I came forth from God. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world, and again I leave the world and go to the Father. Jesus is revealing to them the sweetness and privilege of access. The Father loves you. You have access to God the Father. That's an important concept for them then and also for us now. Because you have to understand, in Judaism, access to the Father was very limited. Extremely limited. It was limited truly to one man at one time once a year. Where the high priest would go in on behalf of all those that were in covenant relationship with God. The old covenant that he would go in with the blood of the sacrifice and spread it out on the mercy seat in place of all the sins of the nation. And through that sacrifice, God would cover the sin, not take it away, 
but cover the sin of the nation for another year as they went through the sacrificial system throughout that year until the next time. So that if you wanted access to the Father, you would have to come through the system that God developed, the priesthood, the temple, the blood of the sacrifices. That's how you access God, and that's the type of relationship that those in the Old Testament had. Jesus is saying it's different, and it is through him. Now, today in the New Covenant, you have direct access to God. You don't have to go through a priest. Neither should you. You don't need to sit in a confessional. You don't need and nor should you ever expect to come to God through me. I'm a believer like you. I have no greater access to God than you do. And you have direct access to God. And most likely, as you're storming the gates of the throne room of grace, you're going to find me standing right next to you, storming the the throne room of grace for myself. We're going to go together. That's what the Bible says. Notice, I'll read it to you in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. He says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne room of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let me expand it just a little bit before we move on. Move over, turn over, would you, to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, because I believe it's expanded by the Holy Spirit here through Paul to understand this access. You have access to God. You can come to God right now with your needs and your concerns. You can come to God looking for help. You can come to God with your sins to be forgiven. You can come by faith through Jesus Christ. It's not a pastor. It's not a priest. The Bible says that there is only one advocate between man and God, and that is the man Christ Jesus. We come to the Father through Christ. And pick up with me in verse 1 as this freedom and access is described. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Notice verse 3. And it's interesting, because Jesus just tied three things together. Don't miss it. Love, problems, and access. That's what he's teaching in John 16. Talking about difficulties, talking about love, and talking about access to the Father. Well, Paul does the same thing here. And this pattern is throughout the Bible. He ties access and faith to problems in verse 3. And not only that, but we glory in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. But hope doesn't disappoint. Because now the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Same thing, saying the same thing a different way. Oh, the Father loves you. There's going to be the worst days of your life, but the Father loves you. And because the Father loves you, you can come to him with the worst day of your life. And he'll meet you there. And he'll minister to you and he'll love you. And he'll strengthen you for the moment. And he'll give you strength for the day and hope for tomorrow. They're all tied together. You're listening to Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. Stop by AboundingGraceRadio.com if you like a replay. Or listen to Abounding Grace through our app. Search for Calvary Church or Ed Taylor and download that today. 
We've been blessed in recent months as we hear from people who have called or written to let us know that they listen and how God is doing a great work through the teaching of His Word. We're so thankful to God for this. And if you'd like to share your story, please email us through our website at aboundinggraceradio.com. We really do want to hear from you. And we also have a book we'd like to get into your hands that can help you answer common questions about Christianity and the Bible. It's Five Minute Apologetics for Today, 365 Quick Answers to Key Questions. Now, this will serve to help you answer questions about evolution and creation, alleged contradictions, and general accusations concerning the Bible. Learn how to answer the claims of cults and ethical issues like abortion or divorce. Again, that's 5-Minute Apologetics for Today by Ron Rhodes. Request a copy when you give a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. We're here to serve you at 877-30-GRACE. Again, our phone number, 877-30-GRACE. And thank you for helping us get the word out on stations like this one. As you partner with us, it's thrilling to see how God uses it in great ways to bless and encourage so many lives through the radio and the Internet. Another convenient way to make a donation is online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Celebrating God's faithfulness and goodness, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Come back next time when we'll return to our study of John. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You laid down your life. That I would be set Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.